0: good morning everybody we will dismiss the boys and girls to junior church If you guys want to make your way out there and for the rest of you if you have your bibles i want to invite you to open up to mark chapter number 14 now before we get to mark chapter 14 i want to kind of give a preamble to today and this is a preamble that we can kind of attest to all along the way this will help you Get what I'm about to say, um, I can kind of use this as an introduction to many a gospel sermon and many a sermon about grace or God's forgiveness. But um, if you get this, you'll get a core about Christianity that most people in America or in the world don't get. And let me explain what that means. Um, the Bible says in the book of Galatians that the law is our schoolmaster. Right? The law was given to us in the Old Testament as a schoolmaster, to teach us that we cannot keep the law. So you're supposed to look at the law and feel really convicted about it. But I think most of the people in the world look at the law and go, All right, I can do this. And then they attempt to do it, and the parts where they fail, they say, Well, you know, that was a mistake. Or that's not a big deal. That is not at all the purpose of the law. The law was put there so you would know and i would know how much of a sinner we are if you and i can't grasp how much of a sinner we are then we will never grasp how much god loves us and if we can't grasp how much of a sinner we are then his grace is to none effect or it's cheap it means nothing but if you will look at the law or look at the commandments or look at all god's holiness and god's righteousness And look at it as a mirror and say, oh, no, I'm in big trouble. Then you're in the right place. But a lot of Christianity and a lot of churches, again, look at it and go, I'm not too bad. I'm pretty good. Like the rich young ruler who said to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, well, you know what the Bible says. And he says, oh, yeah, all those commandments, I've kept them since the time I was young. And then he said, well, there's one thing that lacks. Go sell all that they have and follow me. Um, and, And he left disappointed. He left because he could not do that. He could not grasp that. All Jesus was doing was showing forth his sinfulness. But all the rich young ruler could attest to was how great he was. Don't be great today. If you're great today, you won't get what we're given today. You won't see this. But if you will see your failure today, then you'll see God's grace. If you'll see God's grace, you'll have the strength to be used by God in a great way. So I say all that, we come to Mark chapter 14. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can be here today. Thank you for the music. Thank you for the testimony that Brother Josh gave. Thank you for using him and his team in Brazil and in America. Father, I pray that you'd use each one of us, Lord, to your desire, to your will, to see people saved. Not for our glory, not for our pride not for our achievements lord far from it But lord may we glorify your name may we see people saved lord that you might and the angels in heaven might rejoice and lord we just pray that you would use us in a most effective way give us your power today allow this to be a supernatural time together as we come to worship you to hear from you we pray that the holy spirit would have full reign over every word i say lord every thought we have every contemplation Father, there's no doubt that Satan desires to destroy the church, to rip apart the church, to attack it. And so, Father, I pray that you'd put a head of protection around us because we cannot fight Satan in our own power. We cannot stand against him in our own strength. We need you. We need your presence. And the Bible says that if we submit ourselves, therefore, to God and resist the devil, he will flee. And so, Father, we submit and we will resist. And, Lord, we just pray, Father, that you would push him away. And, Lord, now we ask for your presence to be readily available to us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Do you ever work with somebody who constantly fails, who constantly is unreliable, constantly a letdown, uh, constantly a failure? Or maybe you've ever played on a baseball team or a sports team with somebody that just wasn't good at all. Now, I know they'll tell you in sports, oh, you just play for fun as long as you're having fun. Well, I don't know about anybody else, and I'm not a sore loser, and I'm not a sore winner. Like, if I win, I'm not, like, in your face, and if I lose, I'm not, like, crying or anything like that. But I'll tell you this, winning is more fun than losing, and I want to win. And, and, and I'm not overly competitive. I'm not, like, you know, over-the-top competitive, but I am competitive. And, and, and as I was coaching a, a baseball team, uh, there's some times when you get to the bottom part of the lineup and you're just like, glad he's on my team. Championship game. Glad glad everybody showed up today. We have to bat all 14 batters. This will be a great day. And I'm kind of being a little facetious, but you'll be around somebody that constantly fails or constantly is let down or doesn't have the skills or whatever it is. And it kind of stinks. And it kinda of is difficult. And it kind of can sometimes be very frustrating. When we come to Mark chapter 14, we have that type of situation with Peter. Now I want you to consider for a few moments this morning just how much of a failure he is to the lord jesus christ i want you to consider for a second as great as peter is right in our mind i want you to consider and i'm really going to emphasize it i want you to consider just how much of a failure Peter is. And again, like I said in the early preamble, if that's even what it's called, um, as I said that before, I want you to see the failure so you could see the grace. And I also want you to mirror your failure, and don't worry, I'll help you with that, that you might see God's grace. Now, it could be argued, right? Now, consider for a few moments how much of a failure Peter is, but it could be argued that Jesus could have done a better job at selecting some of the disciples. Wouldn't you say that? I mean, if you know the Bible, and you know the Gospels, you look at their failures and you're like, there was no one better around? There was no one who could have done a better job? There was nobody who would have failed less? There was nobody who could have uh, maybe said less weird things or done less uh, treacherous things or whatever the case? Couldn't you have chosen some better disciples and maybe even chosen better than Peter? And, of course, I'm not accusing Jesus of having done something wrong. I'm kind of just using that as an emphasizing point. But much of what we see about Peter in the Gospels is attributed that we would want to avoid that. There's not a lot in the Gospels where we would say, do that for Peter. Now, there are some, trust me. But a lot of it we would say, okay, see what Peter did here? Don't do that. You see how he's walking on water, and then he took his eyes off of God, and he began to sink? Don't do that. You see how the Bible says that Satan desired to sift him, and, and he said this, and he did that? Don't do that. There's a lot of don't do that in Peter's life. Now, how much of a failure Peter was to the Lord, how much of a letdown he was, I want you to consider that, how much of a disappointment he was. And most people who are honest with themselves will readily admit this, I have failed God. And I don't want you to say that in a way that's kind of just general. For years of my life, I dealt with the concept that Jesus died for my sin. And then I got to a place that Jesus died for my sin, and it was a vast difference. Because in a general standpoint, yeah, of course He died for my sin, and but what sins did I really have? Or uh, and that's not that, that was my interpretation of it. That wasn't the reality of it. That was just my understanding of it. But I don't want you to look at your failure today. Go, I got a couple. I want you to realize who God is. I want you to realize the holiness of God. I want you to realize the righteousness of God. And I want you to dig down deep into every little thing you've ever thought and said and done and all of those treacherous things, how you've even failed God this week, maybe you've even failed him this morning before you came to church, how you may have failed him uh, last night in any which way, with an attitude, with a thing, with a statement, with with whatever it is. Because as I look at Peter, and I'm about to condemn him for a minute, I want you to feel condemned too, and I want to feel condemned too, because I want to bring you to Christ, and I want to bring you to um, His grace. The law appeals to our flesh. The law, if we interpret it wrong, if we look at it wrong, the law can, especially in the hands of Satan, make us feel good about ourselves. If you look at the Ten Commandments and you feel good about yourself, I don't know what you're reading because we are absolute sinners. We get that off our chest and we say that outright and openly that we all know who we are before the Lord and we are all, and when we come here, we can be transparent, we can be open about that. But I think, too, that as we relate to ourselves and our sinful behavior and our sinful ways, we easily relate to Peter because he says a lot of things by putting his foot in his mouth, he says things he shouldn't have said. I don't know about you, but I've said plenty of things I shouldn't have said. Now, did I ever tell you about the time, the worst time I ever put my foot in my mouth? I may have, and I'm going to tell you it again. And I can almost promise you you may not have ever put your foot in the mouth worse than I have put my foot in my mouth. So some years ago, I was preaching at a men's conference in Washington State. There was like 300 men there, and, and I was the preacher. And we were staying in a cabin. We were staying in a hotel. I mean, um, you know, a cabin in the camp that was there that they were having the conference at. It was at like a camp. There was a guy named Cody who was with me, um, who they just put in there. He was a man from another church. And I became friendly. I'm a friendly guy. And, we were, and I'm a jokey guy. That's where I get in trouble all the time. And we began to joke around and we began to, you know, form a friendship over the few days, as much of a friendship as you can form in a few days. And And towards the last day, and I'd already preached a couple messages to these guys, and um, we were in the the cafeteria, and I walked up to the cafeteria, and I saw Cody talking to a bunch of other men. He was in a big group, and Cody was the guy talking, and a lot of people were listening. And I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't picking up on social cues. And I just walked by, and I said, don't listen to him. He's lying. And I kind of just drifted away, and I can see everybody's face all of a sudden go, and I thought, oh no. And so I kinda hovered by, what are they talking about? And Cody's telling a story how his baby son died. And I say, Don't listen to him, he's lying. And if you could see the blood drain from my entire body, where I was gonna feel I was gonna pass out, and I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so-. you can laugh, it's funny, as horrible as it was, it's funny. I was Cody, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. you think I would have learned, but trust me, I put my foot in my mouth plenty of other times. I think Peter does that. I relate to Peter. and go, I, I know that guy. That's kind of like me. Or Peter will do something brash, like, like let me try to chop someone's ear off. That also could have been me in my life. There's no doubt about it. And so we look at Peter. We reflect on ourselves, and we look at how much of a disappointment that Peter was. And so we come to Mark chapter 14. And I want to emphasize some of the things that he did, and you'll see why in just a little bit. Look at verse number 27. Bible says, And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep will, shall be scattered. But after that, I am risen, I will go before you in Galilee. And so Jesus, on his last night on earth, tells his disciples that all men will be offended of him by him or because of him on that very night but after he's arisen he will go before them in galilee i want you to remember that phrase i will go before you in galilee so jesus stands up and says tonight guys is a very important night tonight all of you will be offended because of me now this is the last day of jesus's life or the last night and And the disciples have already been with Jesus for over three years now. They weren't novices. They're not newbies uh, in in, in any which way as as in being like with Jesus. They've been with him for a couple years. They've seen the miracles. They've heard the teaching. They've committed themselves before him. All of that. He says, tonight's a very important night. You all will be offended because of me. Now, if I came up to you tonight and said, guys, we're in big trouble or if I came to you on a Sunday morning because more of you were here, um, we're in big trouble. All of us are going to be offended because of Jesus today. I think a lot of us would have the same reaction. So Peter kind of like cuts him off. Excuse me. Verse number 29. Peter says, but Peter said unto them, although all should be offended, yet will I, not I. He says, you know what he says? He says, "All, all of them will, not me. I will never be offended by you. And so Peter cuts them off and says, not me. And it's pretty telltale that this is the very night, if you were to rewind a little bit, that the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And that's where John, 14, uh, John 13 comes, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. So you can see where the disciples are at in their mind and their heart. They, they're complaining about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, and Jesus washes their feet. He says to them in a very somber, in a very solemn way, all of you are going to be offended, all of you are going to scatter, all of you are going to run away because of me. And Peter says, hear ye, hear ye, not me, everybody else, but not me. Now Peter, I think, has the best intentions here. He, he's making a promise that he thinks he will keep. But as we already noted, Peter is a major letdown. Peter's a major failure, Peter's a major disappointment. Verse number 30. And Jesus saith unto him, verily, verily, uh, verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. Jesus says to Peter, Funny you should say that, Peter. Because as a matter of fact, tonight, this night, this day, in just a few hours, before the rooster crows twice, you will have denied me openly three times, three times, not once, not twice, but three times. And Jesus tells Peter, you're going to fail me this, the, uh, to this very promise that you make. You've just made a bold proclamation that you'll never fail me. Do you ever be in a place where you make a promise to God? God, I'll never do that again. I'll never, ever do that again. How many people have ever made a promise to God? You can raise your hand. Don't worry. I'm not going to ask you what it is. I'll never do that again. How many people said they'll never do it again and then did it again? You don't have to raise your hand for this one, but how many people said they'll never do it again and that day they did it again? I mean, we've probably been there. Peter says, I will never betray you. I'll never be offended by you. And Peter sa- I mean, and Jesus says to him, actually, tonight, uh, you're going to be the one who denies me three times. And I can imagine Peter's mind saying, no way, God. There's no way, Jesus. You're mistaken. You're wrong. Verse 31. But he spake the more vehemently. You know what we mean, vehemently passionately, fiercely. But the more vehemently, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise, also said they all. Peter is really good at contradicting God. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are good at contradicting God? I've been really good at contradicting God before. God says this, and I'm like, no. God says, you should do this, and I'm like, no, I think I should do that. God says, don't do that. And I'm like, but I think it's a good idea. And I can imagine God looking at me and being like, what's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? And they'll be like, but I thought it was a good idea. Peter vehemently contradicts Jesus. Do you see this? I mean, we're not talking about this is day one on the job with Peter. We're talking well into the ministry, having seen everything that we've already detailed that Jesus has shown Peter. And Peter vehemently says, no, not me. I will go to death before I will ever deny you. See, he's he's very bombastic about it. He's very out there about it. He's very passionate about it. No way, not me. I will die. Before I even deny you once, I will stand. I will look in the face of death and I will spit in it and I will die if I have to. And I can imagine Jesus going, hmm. interesting. And then the disciples chime in, like, because, like, what are they going to do? Like, oh, we have to jump on this too. We can't allow Peter to look like, you know, the most spiritual one. Like, no, of course we won't either. We won't either. No, no, none of us. And as much as I'm making light of it, It was a very serious thing because Jesus knew all that he was about to endure. He knew what he was about to face. He knew what what was coming his way. He knew that, that, that he'd be crying out, Lord, if there be any way for this cup to pass from me, nevertheless not my will but thine be done. He also knows the feeling of rejection that's about to come, not just from his disciples but from everybody and not just from everybody but the shame of bearing all the sins of the world upon himself and here's Peter I'll never deny you Peter can you just listen tonight everybody's going to be offended because of me and Peter's like not me Peter I wish that were true Peter I I wish you wouldn't but you're gonna three times as a matter of fact not me I'll die before that you're wrong Jesus Wish that was true, Peter. I wish that was true. Verse number thirty-two. And they came to a place which was called Gethsemane, and he saith through his disciples, "Sit ye here while I shall pray." And he taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and began to uh, and began to be sore amazed, and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, "My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch." So Jesus says, my, my, my emotional well-being, my, my, in a sense, the burden of, of what's about to happen is heavy upon me. It, it's almost overwhelming me. I'm going to go pray. You stay here and watch and pray. In verse 35, and he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. How treacherous of a thing was Jesus facing that praying to the Father? He said, Lord, is there another way? And of course, he's praying in his humanity, Lord, is there another way for this cup to pass? Verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, and when you see, and if you have the King James Bible, I don't know what the other versions use, but Abba, Father is like a term of endearment. It's like saying, Daddy, Daddy. And Jesus Christ is calling out to his dad, Daddy, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. I want you to hear this and this will be a recurring theme in the weeks to come as we get towards the resurrection Sunday. But a child cries out to his father and says, Dad, I don't want to go through the pain. Don't make me. Daddy, please don't make me. Now that's the humanity part of the hypostatic union. That's the, that's the, the flesh heart not the sinful flesh but the humanity crying out daddy please is there another way nevertheless not what i will but what thou wilt. and he cometh and findeth them sleeping and so jesus is praying and he's laboring and he's crying out and he's broken and he's stressed and he's, he's he's just at the end of his flesh and he comes and he finds them sleeping he said could you just pray for me and he Continuing on in the verse, and he saith unto who? Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldest not thou watch one hour? Jesus is pouring out his spirit before God, his Father in heaven. Daddy, help. He comes back to the three disciples that have been the closest to him in relationship, the ones that were on the Mount of Transfiguration, the one who would be considered the inner three, and he cries out and he says, could you not have watched and prayed? Continuing on. Watch ye and pray lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus lets them in. You're not just praying for me. You're praying for yourselves. I just told you everyone's going to be offended this night. Peter, you just went so much as to promise me that you'd rather die than than ever, ever deny me. And and, and I'm telling you that, that your spirit is willing and you want the right things and you have the greatest of intentions, but your flesh is weak. Please pray. You have no idea what's about to befall you. You have no idea about the attacks. You have no idea about what Satan's got planned for us. Please Watch and pray just a little while, just a little while. Pray for your own strength. And again, he went away and prayed and spake the same words. Jesus went back and prayed the same prayer. And it wasn't that he was trying to repeat a prayer that was memorized as if God was going to hear the multiplicity of words in a memorized prayer, but it was that the, what he was praying about was so burdensome that he was going to continually petition God in the same way. We talked about this a couple Thursday nights ago with importunity. Verse forty, and when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. So Jesus came and found them found them asleep again, and they were tired, and they were weak, and they were they were sleepy. We might say this right: if you ever can't sleep at night, just pray, you'll fall asleep. Isn't that amazing? for our own selves. Prayer is one of the most necessary things we have in life. And we can't pray but a couple of minutes without getting bored, without falling asleep, without getting tired, without getting, uh, like, antsy, like, okay, I'm done, okay, amen. When we rush through, we rush through our prayers at, me, at mealtime, Father, forgive, uh, pray for this food, pray for this day, thank you so much, amen. And if someone has a little length of your prayer, we're like, food's getting cold. And here are the disciples, they're praying, sleeping, Jesus comes back, and they don't even know how to answer him. They didn't mean to fall asleep. They didn't want to fall asleep. It wasn't their mind to fall asleep, but they were asleep. And he cometh a third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. Jesus prays this prayer of devastation, if you will, but also of submission and comes back and I can imagine him thinking, right, if he thinks like we think or we can at least interject with condemnation for Peter. Peter, you're sleeping. Peter, you just promised me. What's wrong with you? You're such a disappointment. And the next time, Peter, you're sleeping again. I just begged you not to. And the third time, it's a lost cause. Come on, Peter. And then he says, it's time. Now, you'll see a lot of times in the Gospels, the hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. He says something quite different here. The hour is come. For the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners, and, and he knows at that very moment Judas is walking into the garden. Peter. Wake up, Peter. Let's go. It's time to go, Peter. Peter has never been in a more important day in your life. Matter of fact, there's never been a more important weekend in the history of the world. And has never been a harder day in my life, from Jesus' perspective, than today, Peter. And you're going to face some of the, this is going to be the hardest weekend of your life. And you can't even pray. And we might interject. Maybe you picked the wrong disciples, right? Now, right after that, Judas and the crowd come to take Jesus. And what does Peter do, right? He's not in the spirit of God. When we're not in the spirit of God, we do weird things. He takes up a sword, and you may have heard me describe this before. I don't think he was trying to cut off the guy's ear. Because you'd have to be like a ninja to chop off an ear and not hit the shoulder. Like a... Like, you know, those guys who put a, put a watermelon in my belly and cut down and nobody's cut, but the watermelon's cut? Like that kind of business? I think Peter went, and the guy, Malchus, went, and they just nicked his ear off. Peter wasn't trying to like, hey, stop it. Peter was like, I'll show Jesus how much I love him. I'll take someone's head off. That would be a Peter thing to do, right? Peter's not like, he doesn't dabble in the water. He cannonballs in, belly flops in, he jumps all in. Peter picks up the ear, puts it back on. It's not what Jesus wanted. Peter, what are you doing? You're arguing with the Lord. You're you're contradicting him. You're arguing with him. You're falling asleep. At some of the most important time in the Lord's life and in the most important time in history and one of the most difficult times in your life and now you're executing violence right after, right after. What did I just tell you last night when I washed your feet? That all men might know you're my disciples if you love one another. I just told you that. I just told you the hallmark of Christianity was to love one another. Now you're trying to kill someone. Come on, Peter. Look at verse 66. The Bible says, And Peter was beneath in the palace. There cometh one of the maids of the high priest, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I do not, neither understand I what, what you, thou sayest. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. And the maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereunto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. And the second time the cock crew and Peter called to mind the word of, the, of Je- that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crowed twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. He denies the Lord three times officially. And we find in this denial, it's not just the denial, it's lying, it's getting angry, it's swearing and cursing, it's using profanity. The the lady says, you're with him. He says, "I, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know. What are you even saying? Are those words coming in your mouth? I don't know what you're saying. Then she says, no, I'm sure of it. That's one of them. You're lying. I'm not one of them. A little while later, a crowd says, man, you, you're Galilean, man. You have an accent. It's like a New Yorker going down south and be like, I'm not from New York. Yeah, okay, buddy. I'm really not. Go get me some water after it's for my coffee. Mm-hmm. And he denies it again, and all of a sudden And Peter goes, And he remembers the words of the Lord, and he begins to weep bitterly. Peter gives a really good picture of what most how most people see themselves versus reality because the whole while Peter looks at what God is saying and says I'm good I can do this I'm not going to offend you I'll never deny you I'll die with you I'm absolutely a good person I'm good I got this I, I, I know it I know it a lot of the Ten Commandments up in the courthouse I don't want to read that all day long I feel convicted about it they say, we take it down for religious reasons, like thou shalt not kill. That shouldn't be in the courthouses. That's bad. But you're looking at that and you say, well, I don't kill anybody. Um, Jesus did say, if you hate someone, you've committed murder. Well, I've never committed adultery. Jesus said, if you looked at a woman with lust, you have. If you've ever used the Lord's name in vain, that's like blasphemy. If you've ever loved anything more than you love God, that's idolatry. If you've ever wanted something that someone else had, that's covetousness. And I know no one here has lied ever. And probably never stole anything. Well, according to just a few of the Ten Commandments, you're a murdering, adulterer, thief who lies and covets. And blasphemes, but you're a good person. You got this. And and Peter looks at this and see this is the same relationship that the law has for the sinner and for all of us. It's supposed to. But Peter finally, the first couple of times he denies his intentions, they're all masked in his intentions, and he can't see his own sin until he does. And when he does, there's this. <gasps> And it's too late because what's done is done and it can't be undone. The words were said, the rejection is said. And we look at Peter and go, Peter, what in the world is wrong with you? It perhaps is the worst sequence of events of any of the Lord's true disciples. Now obviously we might contest that Judas has worse, but he wasn't a true disciple. Peter, what in the world? Peter finally sees his sin. And we look at this and say, we, sh- we shake our heads. We say, man, what a failure. It should have been right then and there that the Lord just let him go. In a cancel culture, Peter be canceled right now. No, he's done. Done. We don't want that kind of guy in our church. We don't want that kind of guy in the Lord's army. We don't want that kind of guy in the kingdom. We don't want that kind of guy around our children. We don't want that kind of guy around us. He's horrible. Forget him, Lord. He's worthless. He's excess baggage. He constantly fails you. Just get rid of him. This is one of the reasons why people don't, they convince themselves that they're law keepers because if they admit to themselves that they're law breakers, which they are, which we are, if we commit to ourselves that we're sinners, then we have this problem of, oh, no, I'm condemned. Most people in this world rather convince themselves that they're good so they don't have to deal with, uh-oh, what now? But The reality is we're condemned sinners, but Jesus doesn't leave us as condemned sinners. That's why he died. Peter is at this place of knee-crippling. I was worried this was going to fall. Knee-crippling, and it, I would have fell around my face, and that would have been fun. Um, this knee-crippling thing, he's crying bitterly. And we know in other renditions of the gospel, he, he sees Jesus' face. They look at each other. And I can imagine Peter can't go talk to Jesus, can't go make it right. Jesus has been taken away. And in the next sequence of events, Jesus will be brought to an illegal trial, be lied about, be con- condemned in a matter of minutes and be sentenced to death in a matter of hours. He'll be beaten with one stripe less than his death, like we talked about a few weeks ago. We'll have to carry his cross, and in a few hours he will be dead. There's no closure for Peter. There's no, but let me explain, let me explain. So I can imagine Peter, after crying, walks away. How did I do that? How did I get here? I never saw myself as possibly doing that. I just promised him last night. How do I get back? How do I change it? I'm just going to give up. We know in the book of John, Peter says, I go a fishing. That's symbolic of saying, I'm done. Jesus said, you no longer will be fishermen. You will be fishers of men. Forsake all, follow me. Peter did. Now he's failed. He's done. He's like, I'm just going to give up. I'm done. I can't. It's almost like the feeling that the law gives to a person when they see it, they see their sin. And Peter goes a fishing and says, I'm done. I, I failed. There's no redemption for me. I had my chance. I messed up. I had my chance. I, I can't believe it. Mark 16. In the greatest morning of the history of the universe, and when the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had, brought, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said unto themselves, Who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulchre, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in long white raiment. They were afraid. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. See, some of the followers of the ladies, they come um, to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. If you remember, they quickly had to bury him before the sabbath comes and so they quickly they didn't even got a chance to anoint the body and so they come with spices to anoint the body and and once one of the ladies says how are we going to roll away the stone it's so big there's no way we can do it and they get closer and it's already rolled away and they're kind of shocked by that they go inside and he's not there but someone else is and they're like ah and it's an angel and the angel says don't worry don't be afraid he's not here he's risen some of the greatest words in the history of the world ever mentioned But then he has a message for them. And I want you to see this. Look at verse 7. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goes before you into Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you. Let me read it again. Go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goes before you in Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you. He says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Did you catch that? The disciples and Peter. Let me ask you a question. Is not Peter a disciple? And the answer is he is. So the official meaning here is go tell the disciples and tell especially Peter. Now imagine Peter being there and the ladies come back and they're running their basket of spices have been thrown around. They come back and he says, we were just in the tent. We just went to the tomb and the, the stone was rolled away. And we went in, and there was another person in there, and we didn't know who it was. And we were scared, and Jesus wasn't there. What do you mean, Jesus wasn't there? What do you mean? Well, I don't know, he wasn't there. There was another guy in there, and he was wearing white. And he said, Don't be afraid, he's risen. What do you mean, he was risen? Well, who took the body? I don't know. But, but he said, Go tell disciples and Peter that, that he goes before thee in Galilee. And I can imagine Peter as he's sitting, maybe in the corner, just like this, hearing that and saying, Wait you say that again he said he goes before you in Galilee no 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 not that part what was that you said before who did he tell you to go tell he said go tell his disciples and Peter wait wait he said my name yeah no no. did he say anyone else's name no he just said tell the disciples and Peter said my name yeah and I can imagine Peter's eyes widening and he thinks about his sin he thinks about his denial and he thinks about his idiot intentions that he meant to keep but he failed And he thinks about his his failures and his disappointments to the Lord and he feels like and he remembers that he couldn't ever get the closure from God and he was weeping bitterly And it's been a horrible few days and at that moment He hears that Jesus wants to see him by name. And he might even be wondering, why would the Lord ever want to consider me again? And then he would remember the words that the Lord had been preaching. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. He would remember the messages of God's love, that the Lord loves His love and mercy and His grace. Peter, you're not a failure, and you're not a disappointment. You're not a letdown. Yes, you have failed, and yet, but you're not a failure. And yes, you've disappointed, but you're not a disappointment. And yes, you may have let down, but you're not a letdown. Do you know why you aren't a letdown, Peter? Because you were never holding me up. I was always holding you up. See, that weekend could have been the worst day in Peter's life. Being that he could have denied, he could have been denied of the Lord. Right? The Bible says, if you deny me, I'll deny you. That day, Peter could have, it could have been the worst day. God could have said, I'm done with you. I'm done. I've given you a chance. To whom much is given, much is required. And I've given you more than just about anybody else, Peter. This is what you pay me. But That was not Jesus Christ. Jesus came to him and said, Peter, remember that story in John chapter 21? Peter, come back to shore. Let's go for a little walk, buddy. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? You know I do. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? You know I do. Feed my lamb. That day, Peter was transformed by God's grace. It could have been in the righteousness and the holiness and the justice of the, of the Lord could have been condemned and passed over and been rejected by God. But instead, but instead, the Lord chose to show him grace and that grace changed his life. Peter finally saw his sin for what it was, and that grace changed Peter's life. If you fast forward a little bit, Jesus has resurrected, and he's walking around. He's, and P- Peter gave up. He gave up. And Jesus says, no, no, buddy. You don't give up because I don't give up on you. Come with me. Jesus ascends up into heaven. And then we have the, the disciples and the followers in the upper room. There's 120 there. Who's leading the prayer The prayer cause? Peter. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes, just like in John 14. He says, if I don't go, then the Holy Spirit can't come down. And the Holy Spirit comes down, and they go into Jerusalem center, and there's thousands of people, and who's the one preaching? Peter. Peter, in a month and a half ago, just failed God in a way where he thought there's no recovery, there's no redemption, there's no use of me anymore. And there's Peter preaching, and 3,000 people get saved. He gets arrested for preaching in the temple in in, in just another chapter. Thousands more got saved. They release him out of prison after beating him. Where does he go? Back to the center, preaching again. We think, what in the world happened? Two things happened. Number one, the grace of God. Number two, the Holy Spirit. Those two things utterly changed it. See, the world has this interpretation that if I admit I'm a sinner, there's no hope for me. If I admit that I'm as ugly as I know that I am, but if I admit that, and I don't want to admit that, but if I admit that, then there's no help for me, so I'd rather pretend I'm good, and I'd rather pretend I don't have sin, and order to rather pretend that I'm better than everybody else so I don't have to deal with now what? But the gospel says, no, my friend, you are ugly as ugly can be. And you're a sinner and you're a wretch and you've done everything horrible. But I don't leave you there because I died in your place. And if you'll just cry out unto me, I will forgive you of all your sins and be your savior. And I will use you. And if you're a Christian saying, "What, what about me? I failed him even in my Christianity. So did Peter. And Jesus says, I'm not done with you. Hey, Christians, you can be outright, openly, ugly, transparent with the Lord. Lord, I failed you again. Here's how I failed you. I am such a wretch. Please don't give up on me, God. All that come unto him I will in no wise cast out. Jesus says, come with me. And the, and the, and the consequences of sin, as Josh shared in his testimony, the consequences of sin, and has death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And even the little details of the consequence of sin and the horrible nature of it and the wrecked lives it causes are all bitter, bitter, bitter. And in the grace of God, if you can see your sin for what it is, and you can, then you can start to be able to understand just the minute understanding of His grace and His love. And if you'll understand that no matter how wretched you are, He loves you, and He died for you, and He's got a plan for you, and He's got a purpose for you. And if you will hear that morning of your failure, go tell the disciples and your name. I have had it here Go to tell the disciples and Jason that I go before him in Galilee. And Peter was sitting there saying, you mean God will still use me? Why? Why would God still use me? Because of his grace. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, The Lord still loves you, and the Lord still offers grace to those who will receive it. Now, you may have failed him. You may have disappointed him. You may feel like a letdown, but you remember you were never the one holding him up. And the Lord just wants you to come back to him no matter how far you've wandered. I think of the prodigal son uh, and the father who waited for him to come on home. And maybe you're new to this whole church journey. And I can ask you this question, what brought you to church? And you might have this answer and that answer, this answer, but let me tell you the reality. I want you to listen up now. Do you know what brought you here? Because the Lord called unto you. You may have not officially heard an audible voice, but you're here today, and you're here continually because the Lord drew you here. He could have used someone to invite you. You could be here because you like this or that. That's all fine, but make no mistake about it. God has had his attention on you and his love on you for a long time. He's been waiting for you. And he says, let me tell you the bad news. You're a horrible sinner. And he lays it out and says, I know what you did. But I died so I can cancel it. I have grace for you. The people best used by God are not the people who have lived the cleanest life. The people best used of God are people who realize they've not lived a clean life and receive the grace of God on a daily basis for Him to use them. We, we try, we, we attempt to stay clean. We attempt to stay uh, in righteousness before the Lord, but it's His righteousness, never ours. Even after we're saved, we still can't. It's not, still not our righteousness, it's His, always His. And God will use you in ways that you never thought were possible. So don't resist when he comes to you. Don't hold back. Forget looking at that list of uh, of commandments and be like, I'm pretty good. Look at it and see for what it was a schoolmaster to teach you. You couldn't do it. And I don't know how far off you may be. I don't know how far away you may be in your walk with God. I don't know how far away from a relationship with God you are. But I want to tell you His grace is sufficient. His grace is here to call you. His grace is here to use you again and again and again. Where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. So I got two cries out for you. Number one, if you've never cried out to Jesus to save you today, would you consider that? you have nothing to hide because he knows it all, cry out to him. And if you know you're a believer, but man, the devil's been getting at you, and you're out in the wilderness in sin, or maybe there's something in the past that has been eating at you, You think I don't know if God has any use for me anymore? Go tell the disciples and you to come meet me in Galilee. Thank God for His grace, day after day after day, where sin abounds, grace that's much more abound. Let's pray. Head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. we got to get in your face sometimes because the Bible gets in our face to condemn us, but not to leave us condemned. See, if you don't see yourself as a sinner, you'll never cry out for God's grace. And if you never cry out for God's grace, you'll never get it. And if you never get it, you never get to heaven. You never get saved. So the Bible's really good at showing how wretched man is. And can I say it this way? I have a, a co-worker that I work with. And she's she's from a great spiritual family, Christians, and she says this, we all the same, meaning we're all wretched sinners, friends. And the grace of God is calling unto you to receive it today. And Christian, can I be an encouragement to you? Just come confess it to the Lord. Just come get right with God. Just get back to serving Him again. I know the devil's the accuser of the brethren. Trust me, I know that life. But would you hear your name called that you might be used of God again? With everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm just going to ask two simple questions, and then the music will play. If You're here today, and you say, Pastor Jason, if I were to die today, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, and that troubles me, and I want to know. Would you quietly raise your hand? I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. Please pray for me. Would you quietly raise your hand? Is there one like that today? I'm not sure I'm going to heaven when I die. Please pray for me. God bless you. I see your hand. Anybody else? I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. God bless you. I see your hand. Anyone else? I'm not sure. God's grace calls unto you. He knows everything. He knows everything. Things that no one else knows, friend. He knows. And he loves you anyway. Isn't that awesome? Be bare before the Lord. Maybe you're here and you know you're a believer. You know you've called on Jesus to save you. But man, the devil attacks and you feel like, I don't know. But today God spoke to you and you hear God's calling you back to him. If that's your testimony right now, you hear God calling you back to you to come to him. Can I pray for you about that? Would you raise your hand if there's some things in your life and God, you hear God calling back to you? I see your hands. I see your hands and your hands and your hands. God's calling back. I see your hand. Anybody else? God's calling you back. Can I be encouragement to you? Come on back. Let's stand to our feet. Head bowed, eyes closed. No one looking around. The piano's going to play. If you want to come do business with God, we say it like that. We call it do business with God. You just come. You come to these front. You just pray about something. Maybe God spoke to you about something else. I don't know. Maybe someone's sick. Maybe somebody just come pray. Whatever you want to do, you can come pray. If you want to talk to somebody about how can I know for sure I'm going to heaven, why don't you come meet me? I'll put a guy with a guy, I'll put a lady with a lady, and we'll take you to a classroom, and they'll show you from the Bible how you can know for sure that you're saved, how you can know for sure you have eternal life. We'd love to help you with that today. Maybe you're in a good place, but I want to remind you when you're not, the grace of God never deserts you. It never, ever, ever deserts you if you're a believer. If you're in Christ, The grace of God never deserts you. Come be healed by the power of God's love. And this is not a wishy-washy kind of message. Oh, God loves. No, we're sinners. But God doesn't leave us condemned. He offers up forgiveness. He offers up His love. He offers up His grace. And there will be days, I'm telling you right now, Christian, we need His grace every single day. I don't care if you can't i don't know where i sinned today well i don't know about you but you did just relish in it god's grace people are still praying there's still time for you again you take this as a personal time you pray about whatever you want to pray about doesn't have to be anything even associated with what i said i love that sometimes as the message is being preached God will point something else on another part of the Bible that you start looking at. You're not even paying attention to the preaching. And all of a sudden, God God starts speaking to you about that. Hey, then that's what the Holy Spirit ordered up for you today. And that's the awesome personal God we have. The only difference between us and everybody else in the world is we're forgiven. That's it. Go tell the disciples and Peter. That's why the song is called Amazing Grace. Did you know that the man who wrote Amazing Grace was a slave trader? Bought and sold people as property. One of the greatest atrocities of history. And then he met Jesus and was born again. And you couldn't help but to pen amazing grace. Why? Because if God could save a sinner like him, man, then he could save a sinner like you. I think of the Apostle Paul who murdered people in the church. And God didn't just say, okay, fine, I'll tolerate you. God saved him and then used him to be one of the greatest apostles because that's what the grace of God does. Never take it for granted. It's the greatest thing we have in Christ, His grace. Father, I relish in your grace today, Lord. I need these reminders all the time. And if I'm preaching to no one else but myself today, Lord, then I'll take it. Because I need your grace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus' blood that makes it possible. Father, I pray for those that need to be saved. You saw their hands. You know their hearts. Help them to have the courage to talk to somebody. That we might help them, show, show them from the Bible how they can call on you to save them. That it's not by religious works, it's not by reforming our lives, but it's by the grace of God that we get through faith. And Father, for those that may be wandering off in the far place or the wilderness or maybe those that are trying to recoup some part of their life or, Father, have been beaten up by the accused of their brethren, Lord, I pray that you'd shower them with grace. For those that are hurting, for other circumstances that are mentioned, shower them with grace. When we leave here today, Lord, may you shower us with grace. May we realize who we are before you, but realize who you are before us. Thank you for being such an awesome God. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the fellowship and the refreshments the food. We thank you for it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.